Listeners, meet me, Cam, and me, Eric, and the podcast where we look at the pop culture of our youth through the lens of adulthood. It's not about good or bad, it's about then and now, as we try our best to answer the question, what were we watching? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, meet episode 190, (laughs) Boy Meets World. Not only is boy meeting world, but man is meeting podcast. To be more precise, Manny meets podcast. It's Manny Lozano. It is. I'm so glad to be back, to be talking to both of you in the flesh, uh, to be a, I don't know, in the small legion of people who can be considered returning champions of this podcast. I will count myself among them. And uh, Boy Meets World is a longtime childhood favorite of mine. It's a show that I grew up with, and I have many opinions about it. Yeah, there were some asterisks and exclamation <laughs> points attached to this one with your name. So yeah. I'm excited to find out what that's all about. Yeah, yeah, we can't wait. We can't wait. Big one for all of us, I think. A few details before we start. Uh, Boy Meets World aired on ABC as part of its TGIF family sitcom block for its whole run. It debuted on September the 24th of 1993. It ended on May 5th of the year 2000. It was created by Michael Jacobs and Eric Kelly, and it starred Ben Savage, Ryder Strong, Danielle Fischel, Will Friedel, Betsy Randall, William Russ, and William Daniels. Not to mention other cast members like Lee Norris, Lindsay Ridgway, Matthew Lawrence, Trina McGee Davis, and Maitland Ward. A lot of additions to yeah. the cast over the years and a lot of recognizable just guest stars in the background yes yes <laughs> yeah and some and even in some of the episodes that we're going to be talking about they're like some pretty significant names and i think like to your point about tjf is that hitting into like the mid and late 90s was like peak tgif era so you were getting out of the because i remember when i was young like first and tjf first got established as a thing it was like the the family matters Mm -hmm, step by step mm -hmm. era full house and then this boy meets world kind of ushered in like that and like sabrina the teenage witch Mm -hmm. and like all of those and that kind of i think so yeah yeah, more they, like more teen oriented. Yes, definitely started skewing a little, a little younger, a little less family mm-hmm. specific. Changing of the guard for sure. And then when it went off the air, the end of it, mm-hmm. it pretty much TJF never was the same again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they've tried many times over the years to kind of resurrect it in a way, but mm-hmm. it's not the same. No, uh, now it's all just Disney Plus. It's yeah. All just the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's where that audience yeah. is gone. Well, I'm glad you brought up TJF. If we want to just start by talking about kind of how we came to Boy Meets World, just like our earliest memories. I know that my sister uh, watched from the very beginning, and I'm sure I just kind of glommed on as we watched all those shows that we just mentioned. Mm-hmm. I think I could tell immediately that there's a difference uh, between Boy Meets World and, say, like Family Matters, mm-hmm. which I still laughed at a lot as a kid, but Boy Meets World was like real mm-hmm. and it's stuck with me a lot more over mm-hmm. the years. The MVP of TJF for me. For sure. Yeah. How about you, Cam? Uh, well, MVP is probably dinosaurs for me, but <laughs> in terms of Boy Meets World. Even as a kid? <laughs> oh, yeah. 
I, I might have actually started watching at the beginning because in watching some of these episodes, I actually did a little more homework than we required. I, I watched some episodes. Oh, so did I. <laughs> <laughs> but the little sister that's in the first in the first two seasons, I recognize more than the little sister that's recast. Yes, that uh, replaced Morgan. Yes. Yeah. So I think based on that, that makes me think that I, I was watching more when it first started. Wow. And maybe caught some later, you know, in the, in the later years. Because mm-hmm. uh, it was just on for seven years. Yep. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I was there for the, the beginning seasons. Because mm-hmm. that original intro looks very familiar. The season one yeah, with opening the, credits. The paper airplane. Yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> definitely the most, like, the most 90s that it felt. Yeah. Like, in the music and in the, like, that weird, it reminded me a lot of the, like, your Mead Trapper Keepers, where it was yeah, just, like, yeah, random yeah. floating things <laughs> or whatever that seemed to be a big, like, aesthetic and a lot of stuff in the 90s. Yeah, and, was, like, the, the theme very much picked up on that. I was going to say, like, Felt like the school supplies that I owned at the time. (laughs) Incarnate. Yeah. How about you, man? Yeah, I think it was like a culmination of things because I looked at it like when it started. So like 1993 was also like, I don't know if it was the first year, but I think it was also around the same time that like Nicktoons started on Nickelodeon. So there was a lot of programming that was geared toward people our age. So I think I remember, I don't know if I watched it like religiously from the beginning, but I have memories of every phase of the show of like when they were in middle school, definitely when they were in high school, and then toward the end when they got to college and all of that. And I think it just kind of like when I kind of think about that that time of my childhood, it was that sort of you had like your Nicktoons stuff, your TGIF, and then like SNCC on Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. That that was kind of like all the programming that I was consuming mm-hmm. at that time. And I think from like my parents' standpoint that they were okay with me watching it because they knew that like TGIF was like very like going to be very family oriented. They didn't have to worry about it. And it was like it gave them a good like you can stay up past this show like you can watch this show and like when this show is is on then you have to go to bed kind of thing Mm -hmm. so i think it made that a lot easier for them but i definitely remember that was like the first i introduction i guess i had as a kid to what i which i don't even think exists anymore but like appointment television yeah right where you like wanted to be home friday night and saturday night to like watch to like watch your (laughs) your block of shows and all that kind of stuff to then you know talk about you know the next week with your friends or whatever yeah. at school what else are you gonna do when you're nine years old on a friday yeah, night? yeah. exactly <laughs> watch tgif and and yeah to your point about being so wholesome and safe like yes it was just in my house seventh heaven and stuff like that was appointment viewing so yeah. boy meets world was a-okay <laughs> uh and i i can't you know i'll be lying if i didn't say i didn't eat it up you know i i, I enjoyed that weekly dose of morality that i got from boy meets world yeah I think the thing that I always thought was interesting about Boy Meets World compared to, because that was definitely a theme in the 80s and 90s of like family shows being like very, you know, teaching kids lessons about life and all that kind of stuff. But I think, especially as Boy Meets World progressed, it was able to get out of those trappings and like explore them in more interesting, slightly more nuanced ways. Because when we get into kind of talking about the episodes, like the first episode that we that we pick that comes from the early seasons Mm -hmm. feels very like a classic 90s sitcom. And like, here's the setup, here's the premise, it all ties up at the end. It's it's like very neat. But then as they go on, they kind of experiment with form a little bit more. And it's not so clear what the exact theme is like they still talk about them but it doesn't feel that's i think what for me has allowed it to hold up a little bit better because shows like family matters or like full house feel very much of that time and because they were so locked into the format 
because even when like I remember if you guys watched Family Matters that like it like had this weird pivot I remember toward the end of its run where it was like super sci-fi and mm-hmm. like there was like the Steve Urkel and Stefan Urkel and there yep. was the weird machine and there was like all this other stuff that was happening but Boy Meets World while it had silly episodes and stuff like that always stayed pretty grounded and mm-hmm. even I think that came through in like the parents relationship I think the the relationship between Corey's parents always felt like pretty grounded like his parents were always supportive of him and uh, but they did like question why he would act certain ways and they had their own issues kind of between themselves and you could tell that they did sort of have their own lives like we uh one of the episodes that we're going to talk about is takes place when Corey's dad has kind of in a midlife crisis has purchased this like out good this outdoors like store (laughs) and there's there's an episode where that becomes like a point of conflict for the two of them that like why are you making this decision without me and it, it explores that which you would have never seen on earlier like kind of family oriented yeah yeah shows. like the, the characters the no one's perfect on mm-hmm. Boy Meets world there's a lot of flaws and that is used as an engine for drama like let's explore but in a very safe way mm-hmm. you know no one is really gonna get hurt but since you brought up that that first episode like that very formulaic kind of teaching and learning let's yeah. let's get into it let's talk about some of these episodes first up we we picked six episodes together to watch and kind of focus on although cam and i i know we did a little bit of extra viewing because once we got into it man it was just like oh i remember this one and that one yeah uh but the first one comes from season one uh, episode eight called teacher's bet in this one uh cory thinks the teacher's job is easy so he and mr feeney switch roles for a week and while cory finds teaching a little more difficult than he expected eric his older brother begins dating Linda, a girl of Asian descent. So as the episode goes on, uh, we learn that a racist had accosted Linda at the local mall, calling her a racial slur. Uh, so Corey is newly motivated to teach his class about prejudice with help from the diary of Anne Frank. He finally gets through to his classmates, gets their attention by calling Sean a racial slur, which shocked the hell out of me when I was a kid, <laughs> and gains a new understanding with Mr. Feeney, realizing that Neither of them has the easiest job after all. I mean, the thing that first came to me when I watched this episode because of my own experience teaching in a past life Mm -hmm. is that, like, this would never fly. You would never be able to just like be like, oh, I'm just yeah. going to let a kid take over for the week and see see how this works out. But I think what I didn't realize, uh, and especially like revisiting these episodes, and I, uh, for me, Boy Meets World was like a pandemic rewatch for me, is that like, Corey's kind of always been an asshole and he's like never really been a great friend. He's like really self-centered and kind of narcissistic. And like, I was, I wasn't aware of how early they set up those traits for Tim, like right off the bat. He's like always assuming that he's right and assuming that he knows everything and all of that. And Mr. Feeney is immediately just already like put upon because, you know, he's the next door neighbor as well. So he's had to deal with this kid for forever. Um, it was very, uh, it was very funny to see Mr. Feeney in like, the kids like street clothes because a lot of that is stuff that would like pass now that would be like considered fashionable now. And I think this is also early enough in the show that you see like 
Topanga 1.0 because Mm -hmm. Topanga definitely changes throughout the show. And this is when she still had kind of the big frizzy like Hermione Granger hair and she was very like hippie and sort of crunchy in that. Yeah, yeah, and it was before and in the rest of the episodes it's after. There's a whole, I forget what season it's in, but there's a whole episode centered around like Topanga's makeover and it was like she, that where she like cut her hair and she had, you know, more form-fitting clothes and all of that. And I don't know if it was just like not in the conversation at the time, but like Topanga has great hair. Like in terms of like when I like, you think of like '90s hair and you think of like the Rachel haircut, like Topanga had incredible like beautiful hair, and I never feel like it's talked about in the same way. But I like that really came out, and the character of Minkus, which I think is very also like an early yes. Boy Meets World thing. <laughs> but I but I think he also shows up. I don't know if he shows up at the end of the series, but I know he shows up at like graduation, at like high school yeah. graduation. He shows up. He, he, doesn't he say something like, "I've been here all. I've yeah. been right over there." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like one of those kind of things that he's been there. And then that he says, "Hey, Mister Turner." And that actor was also later in uh, One Tree Hill. He was in. He was oh, playing a, a very different character, but I just remember that it was because he he kind of kept the same look in his yeah. face as yeah. he got as he got older. But I remember. But yeah, it had a lot of those. And like in the early in the early stages, I think Boy Meets World relied a lot more on the like the colorful characters within the school rather than like the main kind of core cast as they yeah would before get they older. figured out those dynamics for mm-hmm. sure. And yeah, like the, some of these characters are different. Like I, I to your point about those qualities being Corey from the beginning is so true. And I also found that like they're a little more obnoxious in him. Like mm-hmm. I think they took they were trying to let. Corey and Sean both be kind of these bad boys acting out. And as time goes on, Corey just becomes this very sweet and lovable goof. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's whipped by Topanga and like all this stuff. Like he, he would never, ever, ever do any of the stuff that he's doing in season one. Yeah. <laughs> Even just a couple seasons later. It's weird that you say that about Minkus. Cause that's another thing that makes me think I'm, I was more of a watcher at the beginning. Cause I think of him as just like an iconic element of the show. Mm-hmm. He's nerd, but he, but he goes away. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's like he's gone for a lot of the like the high school stuff. And then Mm -hmm. I think it is that he like shows up like at the graduation episode or whatever. And they do a gag. Mm -hmm. Kind of like it's kind of like the same thing with they they make a similar joke about it with with Morgan that it's like in one episode they like send her to her room and then she's just like gone. And then when she comes (laughs) back from her room, it's a different person playing her. But yeah, they make that same kind of joke. They're good at that through the years. They they Mm -hmm. weren't afraid to kind of poke fun at themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So, man, already great timing with all these actors. They really lucked out with this casting. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely like it does, especially that they all worked out for the that whole length of time, yeah. right? That they started really as children and they like, you know, became adults throughout the course of the show mm-hmm. and that they would all kind of keep that chemistry throughout, you yeah. know, and that they would all stay like very close. Even the original Morgan, I was just laughing my head off when she interacts <laughs> with Linda. <and> yeah. <laughs> She was so good. And that was that was a thing that will come up in later episodes, but that I don't know if it was a trope that was started in Boy Meets World, but I remember where like a lot of episodes in the early in the early seasons would be like Mr. Feeney introduces like a piece of classic literature mm-hmm. that is then tied into whatever like the moral the or the story yeah. is for yeah. the for the show. And I I, f- I felt like that was like a unique way to take on that sort of premise, right? And I think it's a thing that, like, I don't necessarily see in a lot of shows that are aimed at children now, where they're kind of informing them about sort of, like, literary canon and, like, other sort of pop culture or, like, cultural touchstones in the same way. Like, you don't see 
a lot of that in the same way. And I think that was really unique to like a lot of 90s programming. Like I've I've had like, and I know you guys have like touched on it too, but like I think one of the things that made me so into pop culture growing up was that a lot of the media I consumed was very pop culture savvy. And like Mm -hmm. the examples I always point to are like Tiny Toons and Animaniacs where Mm -hmm. we're very steeped in pop culture and like shows, shows now aimed at children are not in the same in the same way they kind of like you know like something like spongebob which you know started when like we were in high school like never really like it exists in its own universe and it's it's its own thing but it's not aware of kind of the larger the larger kind of pop culture landscape when it when it makes jokes and references and stuff like that yeah that's a good point one thing I also enjoyed in the early years of Boy Meets World was the specificity of the Philadelphia setting because mm-hmm. I I grew up just forty miles away from Philadelphia, so that was like kind of our big city base, even though right. we were not city slickers in any sense of the term. But just seeing all those Phillies and Eagles and yeah. Sixers, <laughs> all that gear took me back because I, I was actually, and this is, might even be reflected in our watch list. So sorry, guys, but I I was more acquainted with like the middle seasons of the show like mm-hmm. four five six mm-hmm. when they start getting older but it was a surprise to still remember as much as i did from the early years this episode in particular because like i said when Corey calls sean a wop i was just like <laughs> jumping out of my seat back then and like even when like he's, he talks about and a 15 year old girl is dead just something is like touched my brain yeah and left a mark forever well they make they make a comment that linda's 15 yes and i I was like did i miss something did linda die (laughs) off screen and then he reveals that he's talking about anne frank i was like oh okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) but i feel like i jumped a little bit when when that happened i was like oh my god did they kill the character (laughs) (laughs) they're really making a statement yeah linda played by Lindsay price uh, I don't know if you guys know her, but she's probably best known for Lipstick Jungle. Okay. Show on NBC yeah, yeah, yeah. Like ten years ago. Oh, okay. Yes. Now I can see like the see the face with the name. And then she was a regular in some kind of uh, CBS show in, in more recent vintage. Okay. So she's she you know moved on from guest spots yeah. in the '90s. She became a very successful TV actress. The only thing that I thought was weird about that, and I think that's some that would probably be one of the the deficits of Boy Meets World, I think, as a series in general, is that while it did, in its own way, touch on a lot of, like, more progressive issues, like, especially, you know, getting into the later seasons, you have, you know, uh, Angela and Sean as, like, an interracial couple, which was very, very new for for that time, especially. But the, the way that the, you know, that the, like, racist incident that happens is handled, it's it almost feels tacked on because it like, I never got enough investment from like learning about Linda or anything like that. And then she just comes home and she's crying. And like, you you get this very vague mention that like somebody said something to her and it sort of yeah. implied that it's like a racist comment. And that's kind of the impetus for Corey to be like, Oh, like racism and prejudice are still real. And they like still exist where you could have done something like that. Just having more diversity, like in the classroom, like mm-hmm. with his other, with his other peers right and i think that especially in you know if you're taking place in a major city right that that and i think that was something that a lot of shows in the 90s were guilty of that you know they would take place in a major city but have like the core cast be like all just you know good looking white kids so like but i think it's again like you know kudos to them for like making an attempt but now like through looking at through it now there's definitely a lot more that they that they could have done for sure yeah 
1993, y'all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I even had a memory, though, of, like, I could have sworn that they actually, like, repeated whatever some, that person called Linda, but that's not the case. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know why I thought that they would never actually yeah. <laughs> say it on, on uh, primetime yeah. ABC television. But I must be thinking of some other show, because I swear to God, there's I have another very vivid memory mm-hmm. of a crying person saying, like, they called me something. Name, yeah. But, well, any other thoughts about Teacher's Bet? It's a good intro to Feeney and just how he pretty much always has a lesson in in mind. Like, I think, Manny, what you were saying, like, this would never fly today. I'm thinking, like, if it fails or if it succeeds, Feeney has a plan for either. Like, I'm sure if, like, Corey doesn't learn anything, he's got a lesson. Or if, you know, he ends up understanding what prejudice is all about and wins the bet, that's another teachable moment. That seems to be the the format of a lot of these Feeney-centric episodes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm going to teach you something this episode. Get ready for it. Yeah. And it's and they never see it coming. It's always yeah. so just profound. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and simple. Yeah, William Daniels is the goat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Favorite line in this episode for me was uh, Corey's dad upon learning that Corey has bet his bike, his brand new right. bike. Oh, yeah. He's <laughs> his dad says, "Why does Feeney want that bike? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with him? Oh, I love it. Next episode then." Actually, since we're skipping seasons two and three, yes, uh, I did watch like an episode or two of, of yeah, those me, two seasons just to t- touch on them. Some things to note: there's a weird time jump from season one to two, so they go from middle school, sixth grade, to quote unquote high school in season two. Mm-hmm. But but it's high school eighth grade, right? I think yeah, it's, it's like two. still like a lower grade. I was also reading that there is like a seventh grade dance in season two that they mm-hmm. go to. Mm-hmm. So there's just kind of like this weird, like nebulous yes. time. Temporal mechanics yeah. get fuzzy. I actually <laughs> yeah. think I watched the season two premiere uh, yeah. in my extracurricular. That's actually I, the one I watched. And yeah. I, I thought they said it was still seventh grade, but it was like they have some weird high school where six grades are all together. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then they, they proceed to be in high school for four years. Mm-hmm. Right. And then graduate. So they skip something yeah. somewhere along the way. Eighth grade just kind of slipped into a vortex. Yeah. As it did for all of us. Yeah. I'm sure. yeah. They changed up the theme for the next two seasons. Well, there wasn't really even a theme song for seasons two or three. Uh, there was just kind of like an opening interstitial. Mm-hmm. Like, and some Alvin like noises. A little rock lick yeah. for like five seconds. It reminded me of a non, or a, I guess it's still kind of animated, but like a different version of the Rugrats theme and yeah. intro. Yeah. Rewatching it too, it was one of those things that I was like, oh, I wonder why like more shows don't do this. Because like the only place I see where I can think of like regularly changing beginning themes or anything is mm-hmm. like an anime. They mm-hmm. do that a lot, but I, I, but I was like, oh, and I, like maybe that's also part of how like in people's minds, they were able to keep the show relevant because it didn't like feel the same year to year. And even yeah, making yeah. those slight changes from yeah. from like the theme song would like do inform that in a certain way. Yeah. When you have a young cast, it kind of becomes a necessity too. If like you're showing them in the intro, mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to redo parts of it. Yeah. And then season three is different than season two. Another like rock lick, a little longer, but also different. And then we, we already mentioned that the sister recast was season three. Yeah. Mr. Turner shows up as That's one of right. the teachers. That's right. One of the all-time great, like, 90s mullets yeah. when he first shows up. <laughs> yeah. He's like the cool guy teacher who rides a motorcycle. and Cut the leather jacket. Teaches and... them with X-Men comics. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mr. Turner. All right. Is that good for the intervening years yeah that's, that, that's that, those are all the points i wanted to make it's right like yeah it's good to weird know time mechanics and then recasts and theme song shenanigans it is <laughs> it is it is good to note and ben savage growing up looking pretty different each year yeah in those first three years yeah and then i guess i, I can we can segue with 
another new theme for season four. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is probably my favorite of the lot. Another instrumental. Uh, surf. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, a surf song. And there's like the intro where they like hop into a car, like a, yeah, red, yeah. a red convertible and like driving against a green screen backdrop. Yep. But here's a here's an <laughs> image I'm showing you guys in studio. <laughs> this is act, this a revelation, a recent revelation that blew my mind. There's In one of the shots, no one is driving, driving the, the car. car. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. But I, was, I always like this intro too because of the uh, little snippets of past episodes that they'd be playing <laughs> in like yeah. the rear view mirror or the side mirror. Yeah. Uh, to, to reflection me, of the windshield with like Eric like just shaking his head at yeah. his little sister. I that killed me every time. Yeah, to me this song probably captures the emotion of the show the best. Mm-hmm. Like it's a little earnest and kind of like emotional. Like the first one is very kid like and silly, and and the final one, which we'll talk about later, is is just a little. I don't know. It's like it's upbeat and fun. Yeah, and it's, it's got some vocals, but I don't know. I I, I really love this season four. Mm-hmm theme song it does feel more 90s than like the later song when they had a golden opportunity to do something 90s but they Mm -hmm. made it sound like 1991 (laughs) like like spin doctors or something yeah Uh, (laughs) but season four is a a big one we have a couple episodes that we watched in that season and the first one is uh episode 15 of season four chick like me and in this one uh cory begins writing a silly humor column for the school newspaper while the battle of the sexes rages between boys and girls uh, inspired by the assignment to read the book Black Like Me, Corey and Sean decide that they're going to be serious journalists, and they plan to go undercover as female students to learn what it's really like to be a girl. At first, they try to make over Corey, but it doesn't quite work. Uh, but when they they make over Sean, it's perfect. So as Veronica, Sean snags a date with this Lothario jock classmate of theirs, and his frustration mounts as they're out at eating at Chubby's, and this handsy boy refuses to listen to Veronica when she says that she doesn't want him touching her or invading her space. This cad gets punched out by Veronica slash Sean, and this causes Sean to reflect on the way he's treated the women in his life, and it all results in a front page article in the school newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> I think the thing with me and part of why I chose this episode was like, as I was growing up and like figuring out that I was gay and stuff, a lot of, there were a lot of queer themes and queer coding in Boy Meets World. And like upon rewatching it, I was like, oh, okay. I understood more of why I like lommed onto this show. But this episode is one of the ones that really like touches, touches on that mm-hmm. in a lot of ways because it, it like especially you know once like sean gets his makeover as veronica and they're uh they're asking about like oh what should your name be and Corey suggests like oh like janet it's like it's like what does it matter what your name what your name is and then like when when sean suggests veronica topanga has this like look at him says oh you've thought about this before Right. And like, especially in this kind of context, we don't know what that means. But looking at it now, that could mean like, is Sean potentially like trans? Is he non-binary in one way or another, which is like incredibly progressive. And to while a lot of Corey's presentation is played up for laughs, Mm -hmm. Sean's isn't. And I think that was a really unique way of taking it because even though you could argue that part of why Sean is more accepted is because he has like passing privilege. It's everyone notices Mm -hmm. like how beautiful, you know, how beautiful Mm -hmm. Veronica is and all of that. The audience cheers. Yeah. And like the audience cheers and all of that. And, and especially with Corey, not only is it that like he doesn't have like the passing privilege in the same way, but then Corey 
in his female persona like plays it for laughs he plays it very like almost like a 1940s like old broad kind of a right. kind of an angle is kind of yeah, yeah it's kind of like the voice that he has and it, it, like it especially Python works yeah and sketch, it especially yeah. works in the end sequence when they're at chubby's and Corey is in drag as like a waitress right and he's like the rough and tumble kind of waitress but i think it was really interesting and i think as the show especially like starting around season four that whenever the show had to do a lot of heavier lifting around like emotional themes or just emotional like acting sequences they relied on writer strong a lot more and i think he really is like the heart and soul of the show Mm -hmm. just because like they always put him through shit like Mm -hmm. it was just like his family was all messed up all the time and he was having and he was the one who would get into like the worst like trouble and like go through the hardest stuff so they could really pull on that and i think that an episode like this touches on that because there's a lot of sensitivity and like differentiation in body language that you can see from writer strong when he's playing veronica compared to when he's playing sean and just Mm -hmm. the way that he holds himself and even like in his face the the way that he's kind of you know putting putting like showing emotion through that is really subtle but but i think it was very impressive for for a show like that for sure yeah we're gonna have some even more acting moments from writer strong coming Mm -hmm. up i and it's it's interesting because I like how their friendship like kind of plays off this class dynamic too. Mm-hmm. It's not so much in this one, so maybe I should save it for uh, uh, the next episode. But I totally am picking up what you're putting down, Manny, mm-hmm. about Sean being a conduit for the show to explore all kinds of issues, all kinds of uh, dramatic territory that yeah. just kind of like the the fundamental through line of the show does not, which to me, is Corey and Topanga's relationship, yeah. which is a whole saga in and of itself. But mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's almost like two shows in one yeah. because of Sean. And and the thing, too, that's like that's interesting, and this sort of comes up in later episodes, and it comes up definitely in this one, is that the dynamic between Topanga, Corey, and Sean as far as how how much almost like Topanga controls the relationship mm-hmm. in terms of that she very much dictates who Corey is interested in is she almost gets jealous when she notices that Corey like wants to hold Veronica's book <laughs> and like, and comments on how beautiful Veronica is. And like, there's, there's a lot of that. And then in other episodes too, like, like it almost feels in certain ways that like Topanga is holding Corey back from potentially like expressing any really real feelings for Sean that he may or may not have, mm-hmm. because that I think was also a unique, part of the show was that apart from exploring you know the art the larger relationship is that it explores like close male friendship mm-hmm. in a way that you don't see in in a lot of shows and especially at shows aimed at children yeah, yeah. right you don't see like relationships that are close between boys and even you could i think the only show that i can think of offhand that maybe is covering similar territory would be like stranger things like the earlier seasons of stranger things kind of touches on like that donation that dynamic between young boys and like what that kind of looks like but i think in stranger things case they're they have much more like sci-fi stuff that they're they're working with in terms of the in terms of genre it's, so it's they, not quite as grounded yeah, yeah so they're so they're they don't have the territory to to explain it in the same way but like it, you could almost rewatching it, you could almost read like that. Sean is non-binary, trans, and you know, bisexual, pansexual, and then that Corey is 
probably bisexual as well because he has strong feelings for Sean throughout and for Topanga throughout, you know? So, and it's, it's interesting that like there's an ebb and flow with Topanga as far as like how much she allows that relationship and like how far she allows that relationship to go because there's a, I don't remember if it was in this episode or one of the other ones we're talking about, but she, she pulls Corey aside at one point and like kisses him and like checks in with him. It's like, that made you feel something, right? Like that's like, <laughs> this is doing what it's supposed to do. Right. And it's like that kind of thing when he's getting like, is he getting too like involved with like feeling for Veronica or feeling for Sean? Hmm. Even though she's into it at first. She's yeah. Like, yeah. Make, make Corey pretty. Yeah. <laughs> I also like the subplot with Eric and his coworker. Yes. I forget her name. Oh, the like the country girl. The country girl. Yeah. Um, as kind of a counterpoint to, to to the you know sexual harassment, it's like the flip. It's like mm-hmm. um, because she's she's the aggressive sca- one. She's yeah. the aggressive one, scaring other men away because she's acting too aggressive. And I just thought the jokes with that were funny. Like <laughs> like she wants to go down to the river and go eel grabbing. Yeah, or <laughs> you know what I mean. Go down and well, shoot stuff. Like <laughs> it's like I think I think the boy that Veronica goes out with says something like if you want i'll take you to chubby's you know yeah lots of oh yeah (laughs) there's lots of that going on yeah yeah i i also thought it was interesting how in the b plot like the man is like her happily platonic friend another inversion although i was trying to remember if if that fit into a a more a larger more serialized narrative where i'm not sure if eric was actually like had feelings for her and he's like i'm making a mistake like i'm trying to be her friend and I'm blowing it because, like, at the end of the episode, he's like, "God, oh, what have I done?" When he like teaches her how to kind of approach people right, normally, like be yeah. be more independent. The whole yeah. thing with Eric, like, just throughout that show, is just so because it like it turns from like himbofication to just like by the end of that show, he's just a complete idiot, yeah. just like <laughs> like so incredibly like not even like goofy, just fully dumb. I think mm-hmm. if I remember right, towards the end of the show, he like starts speaking in squirrel and like goes out to like the wilderness for a long time. And there's an episode and he comes back and he has like a big beard and all this kind of stuff. And like, that was always the thing with, with Eric, especially in the early seasons that it was always just like, he was the ladies man, right. That he was just bringing home like a new hot girl every week and all of that, where that's kind of Sean too. Yeah. I feel like I, I could see why they would want to like differentiate. <laughs> so like the both two. the Matthews brothers just had Sean's traits at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what, what are we doing? <laughs> but then too, it's like, just, it's so ingrained too with, with Corey and Topanga from the beginning that they have like always been together. And then even in like, in the next episode that we'll talk, we'll talk about where they have the flashback. It's like, since they were like, tiny children that they've like always they've always been together and been a thing that's that's some retconning right there. yeah <laughs> i was never a fan of that but yeah you know we'll talk about that <laughs> and you know also good on sean for learning about consent and healthy relationships yeah although i do think at the end when it comes to like the article i mean i don't know if they ever I don't think they ever mentioned it, but it seems like they're giving Corey a lot of the credit, but yeah. I feel like Sean should get more yeah. credit. He was the one who actually went through mm-hmm. the process, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But but yeah, it, and it is one of those, I feel like that's something that they did like very often where it was all of a sudden like Corey or Sean or whomever was like working for some random thing at the school that like allowed the plot to, <laughs> yeah. allowed the plot to happen. Corey becoming that goody two shoes, yeah. you know? And it's just interesting to me, too, because then, like, a few episodes later, it's another episode I watched, Sean's, like, right back to hitting on every girl that walks by. Yeah. <laughs> so, and there's knows. some gay panic in some other episodes yes. that we're going to watch. Yeah. Um, no, what it is, it is, like, a running, 
a running theme, right? Yeah. And it was one of those things that, like, like as a kid, I think I was so hungry for any sort of, like, something that felt like something. And I think when I was that young, I didn't really understand, like, the gay panic part of it, really. Mm-hmm. But it was just like, oh, like, these boys have feelings for each other in one way or another. And other people are trying are like getting in the way yeah, of yeah. them like expressing it or they're like yeah. saying oh you shouldn't do this and all of that were like most other other shows that i was watching at that time never touched on any of that right mm-hmm. especially like any like animated shows you know nicktoons and stuff never got into that sort of thematic material mm-hmm. so it was one of those things that there was a lot of like gay panic but i think i think with boy meets world compared to uh, like if if i'm thinking of like other like tjf era shows or whatever like they never some of them now i feel like never touched on it at all like i don't remember anything with like sabrina having like you know a gay witch character or like any Mm -hmm. of that although i think rupaul i think was a guest on sabrina once but i think that was what i ended up like taking like from it that like in that sort of in shaped that part of my childhood is like oh this is something and because for all the shit they put each other through at the end of the day Corey and Sean did deeply love each other and like care for each other and I think that came through ultimately yeah, yeah. I do kind of want to go back to the pilot mm. which I did watch because I feel like now is a good time if we're going in with the queer reading which I I knew you were going to bring that so I, I kind of was looking for it um, and I did start with the pilot myself and if we're taking that as like the thesis statement or the theme stated of this whole show mm-hmm. it's really interesting to watch through that lens because some of the first like Feeney's first lesson is about romeo and juliet the love between a man and a woman and Corey's first response is who cares um <laughs> and then eric gets a date with a girl and he has to cancel like the baseball game with Corey. so it's, it's like heterosexual couplings is like ruining Corey's time throughout mm-hmm. the whole episode um and he's like really frustrated about it and there's a part where like Corey's by himself he's alone uh, in his treehouse, like eating dinner because mm-hmm. he's been punished for being a brat about all this stuff. And then he's like oh, sitting up in his treehouse. He's watching Feeney, who's like got a date at his house, but is stood up and it's just like him with an mm. empty plate. And Corey like is like eating his own dinner, like kind of like, like mirroring him, mirroring him like he's the other plate. Yeah. And kind of like seeing this lonely old man. And like, I don't know, you, you could you could do some reading there, too. Like one true pairing, Corey and Feeney. Yeah. Well, and that. That relationship, I think, is also like essential to to Boy Meets World. Is like the that mentor relationship yeah. that Feeney has with Corey and with the other kids, right? right? And like you, like when we get to like talking about like the end of the series, like you, I think you can see, especially in like the last couple episodes, you can see in the actors like how deeply this affected them as people, yeah. right? Like this yeah. relationship that they all formed with William Daniels, like. Yeah. And then the, the the final exchange in that episode is also fun because Corey learns his lesson, talks about, you know, no greater aspiration than to have love in our lives. And then Feeney gets like a date with a fellow teacher in the cafeteria. And, oh, that's right. And Corey's like, what? <laughs> and then he goes, and then he, Feeney goes up to Corey and he's like, confused, Mr. Matthews? And he's like, yes, sir. And he's like, as it should be. So <laughs> That was like, also, I feel like, very early season Boy Meets World that they had like, that like the cafeteria was like another scene like another like place that they use another set Mm -hmm. where like as because mostly when they do school stuff it's like 
the hall with mm-hmm. the locker room, like yep. Feeney's office, and mm-hmm. then like a classroom, and like that was that was really it. But definitely yeah. the cafeteria scenes. I remember that there was some other. I forget what the context was, but there was some other like where they did a protest or something in the cafeteria. Like I remember that from like another another early episode. Good looking out on that po- on that pilot. Yeah, I was just you know just wanted to see what it what it <laughs> what what it was saying from the very beginning and mm-hmm. like, what we're exploring. And I feel like if you're going in with a queer reading, like it's definitely there. Yeah, I'm definitely reading to it. Moving on to the next episode. If we're talking about emotions, this might be the emotional, most emotional TV episode of my childhood. Yeah. And that is Cult Fiction, uh, Season 4, Episode 21. Uh, feeling alienated from his friends and family and getting criticized at school, Sean meets a girl who introduces him to a new group of friends. They turn out to be part of a cult called The Center, which is led by Mr. Mac, a charismatic adult who promises love and belonging to troubled teens. Uh, everyone in Sean's life uh, who cares about him is worried by this new development. Uh, but he rejects their concerns and claims he's finally found something that he can believe in. When Mr. Turner, however, is seriously injured in a motorcycle accident and in a coma, Sean brings Mr. Mac to the hospital. However, Corey forces Sean to confront the situation on his own. Sean pours out his feelings at Mr. Turner's bedside, appealing to God and realizing the truth about the center. He rejects Mr. Mac and returns back to his chosen family. So Sean joins a cult, a very special episode. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that's exactly how it's described on Disney Plus. It's just Sean joins a cult <laughs> as if it was a wacky sitcom hijink. Yeah. And this blew my mind back in 1997. Yeah. I think the thing that I thought like rewatching it that was funny was that like, Almost immediately when Sean is like introduced to these people at the center, he's like, Oh, this is a cult. Yeah. Like he, like, it's not like he's like fooled or like nope. wrapped up in it. He's like, Oh, no, no, this is a cult. And he's still, smart, yeah. and he's still like, is because he's in this like vulnerable emotional place, he yep. still falls victim to it. But I think like for me, the thing that really stood out in this episode and like, especially rewatching it still like made me emotional rewatching it is two pieces is at the end when they're all at the hospital and Sean comes in with the Mr. Mac guy in his like horrible suits and turtlenecks and that, <laughs> that like Corey's dad, Alan, like confronts Mr. Mac yeah. and like pushes him against the wall Threatens and like, yeah, yeah. And like you can, and then his mom and Mr. Feeney all look like legitimately concerned that he's going to like beat this guy up or whatever like that. And because you never really saw that level of emotion out of his dad. And then the end before Corey and Topanga leave Sean with Mr. Turner, like Corey hugs him and he's like, this is a hug. This is because I care about you and because I love you and all of that. Yeah. yeah, And it was like, it's one of those things that that was kind of the things that like, one of the things that really like I emotionally like latched onto as a kid that you could have those, those people and that idea too, which especially, you know, as a queer person, like the idea of chosen family is so integral to, you know, your, your survival in a lot of cases is like finding your chosen family and really highlighting that, that like, and where almost all of the other characters that were there were saying that like we're here because we care about Sean we're here because we are his family and like I think he like just needed to hear that right and because he because Sean like throughout the series gets caught up on a lot of it like to your point about like class and like his upbringing Mm -hmm. and stuff and that his his family's not so great and he has a lot of troubles with it and stuff but the fact that he still has like a network of people that really you know genuinely care about him and it's always interesting to see how those differences between him and Corey spike up in ways like this Mm -hmm. like it it sells like the kind of absurdity of of a one-off episode where Sean suddenly joins a cult and then quits it (laughs) yeah it's like 
wow. But I, I yeah, I think like Sean to me was always like deep down a very sensitive person. Mm-hmm. And to me, like that's the most appealing thing about Boy Meets World, both then and now, is that this is a safe space for sensitive souls. Like, yeah. Like I was not worried about watching the cool thing on TV. I wanted I wanted Boy Meets World because that was the kind of heroes that were speaking to me, like mm-hmm. people who weren't afraid to talk about their feelings and give their friends real hugs. Yeah. Which when you're, you know, elementary grade or middle school boy, it's yeah. like that's not a cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think especially then, right? Like if you, you know, like you think about like, and I mean, I even think about like, you know, when I was in middle school and even like in high school, you like rarely like showed physical affection right. to your, to your like close friends. Right. And now it's much more commonplace that like, you know, and kids are much more able to, you know, connect with their emotions and especially kids in general are a lot more accepting of people's gender expression and their identities in general. But in the 90s especially so much of that is tied into like very strict like gender roles and like uh, ideas around masculinity and all of that where sean definitely was underneath the like roughness of his exterior did have a much a lot more like sensitivity to him and i think part of what what has allowed me to like rewatch stuff like boy meets world compared to something like seventh heaven Mm -hmm. like seventh heaven especially because seventh heaven had a lot of like religious overtones to it (laughs) oh yeah it kind of stuck it was very it ended up being like very schmaltzy and like overly sentimental yeah Yeah. (laughs) and where boy meets world i think threaded that needle a little more deftly more of the time that while they did have those things that could be like a little corny and a little cheesy i think that yeah. because of the the actors involved and that they were really getting to something more authentic yeah just as a side note i don't know if you guys are familiar with um it's a youtube series called a very special episode mm-hmm. where it's i think it's a funny or die thing yeah where that guy just like he goes through like just rapidly going through the plot of these um <laughs> very special episodes from the eighties and nineties sitcoms and shitting on them and like how absurd they are. And like 70% of them are seventh heaven episodes. Yeah. It's, just, <laughs> it's, it's incredible how, yeah, they how put Jessica Beale through the ringer on that show. Yeah. It was always her that was like doing the worst shit on that show. It's like Shiri Appleby is like a girl in a gang who like pulls a knife yeah. <laughs> in the suburbs. Like, what are these white people? And that was always, that's always like the through line of these videos. Like what is going on with these white people in the suburbs? Like, <laughs> yeah. like there's so much shit. Uh, but back to Boy Meets World, I think th- the other thing I really love about this particular episode is um, this idea that a lot of like teen shows promote these ideas of like freedom and independence of what it means to like be- become an adult. It can be acting out in certain ways. It can be something like joining a cult, but or like which is kind of another way of saying joining a scene or a clique or something. But you realize like, and what the show understands is that like those are kind of just more forms of control in a way like to Mm -hmm. be truly independent like you have to do what they force sean to do is like no you have to sit here examine your own feelings you have to confront these challenges by yourself and like that's what makes you independent and adult not just because you like wear a leather jacket and hit on chicks and stuff (laughs) it's like ah i love that monologue he gives at the end coming to realize that Mm -hmm. is just and especially too like i i didn't remember rewatching that episode like i didn't remember the whole part where not only is he like just kind of trying to talk to Mr. Tarn, but that he's like pleading with God, right? And like you mm-hmm. never see him, and I don't know that he does that like ever again in the in the show right. where he's at that that point of desperation where he's like he's he's pleading in that way, mm-hmm. and like that I think is really powerful. And you know, again, like credit to Ryder Strong, like he like nails that that uh, sequence. Hundred percent. Like, 
yeah, it's it's arguably I would say it's arguably one of the more like powerful pieces of acting in that whole series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I, you're saying it's like not the cool thing to watch, but like Sean is the cool character. Yeah, and it's it's cool that the cool guy gets these like heartfelt arcs in this in the show. Yeah, I mean it's very meaningful. Yeah, yeah, and also the, just the fact that like there isn't a triumphant like it does not like Mister Turner doesn't rise right. up like just ap- right. because Sean has. He's said actually all written this. out of the show from this point on, isn't yeah. he? I think so. He's think like he's out of it for for used, a while. They used this to like. Get him off. Let's send him off. him off. Yeah. Yeah. He does survive. But yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, folks. And yeah. I think he doesn't he like briefly show up in Girl Meets World? Like there's like mention of him oh, or really? something. So I did watch I did watch <laughs> the first and last episode of Girl Meets okay. World just to <laughs> yeah. see like where it goes. Yeah. And he does show up at the end. Okay. The very end. But yeah, just going back to like grappling with spirituality like on a teen sitcom i think they've just found a really good way to do it because it is so vague and it is kind of a one-off mm-hmm. it feels more like how a regular person will engage with their spirituality sure it's like at these moments mm-hmm. it becomes very apparent you know in someone's life but for most most of the time it's 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 there yeah. they're not necessarily shouting it from the rooftops mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the family in seventh heaven yeah <laughs> Did you guys catch the veiled Scientology takedown? I guess the the center is kind of like the, yeah. whole, the whole thing, but like they're like point to like what's in what's over, uh, behind that door? It's got a star on it. It's like oh, oh that's a celebrity room. Like, you can't <laughs> go in there. I think it says that to Eric. Yeah, because he's immediately suckered yeah. in like, by by yeah. like the second there's like a this nice girl that like it. pays attention yep. to him. He's like, oh, sign me up, give me a bedroom. This is where we're seeing his character traits morph from like yeah, like cool guy into just dope. Yeah, and and. They not even the center wants him. Like yeah. he, he's, he says to Mister Matt, "Can I come back?" It's like no, no, <laughs> not you. Oh, good old Eric. Uh, the next episode was another one suggested by you, Manny, which is was an awesome one from season five. So now we're into not quite college yet. It's like but senior year, yeah, senior year. year. Season five, episode three. It's not you, it's me. And in this one, uh, Sean discovers that Corey is thinking about attending Stanford University, and that causes a rift between the two friends that resembles a messy emotional breakup. Old wounds are revisited as they each try their hardest to make each other jealous. Topanga tries to broker peace by taking the boys to Mr. Feeney, but ultimately Sean and Corey rekindle their bond by remembering the day that they met at the zoo as young children. Meanwhile, Eric and his new college roommate Jack, who is Sean's long-lost half-brother, they appeal for an extension on their first college papers an ornery dean refuses to give them a break until finding common ground with jack and their shared knowledge of the chinese language i would say before we get into the the meat of this episode yes again as as the like the dopification of eric that like the b plots get like more insane and like like it's and so like all of those get especially when they get into like it's stuff with eric and jack right yeah that it's like because there's this and then i think it's in this season where there's another there's like witches like played by candace cameron like Mm -hmm, right that mm -hmm. like try and kidnap them or all that kind of stuff like so all of that just gets increasingly silly. And then in this episode, the Dean is played by, I can't remember his name, but the um, actor who Paul plays, Gleason. yes, who yeah. plays the principal in the breakfast club. Yeah, and that's, that's, mm, yeah. that's the thing. Like he's playing, playing this more like a disciplinarian, like right. assistant principal than an actual college. Dean. Yeah. And like, when you think about it, like when you had issues with stuff in college, you like, ne- like rarely went to like the Dean. You just went to yeah. like your professor. If you want yeah. an extension on a paper, you don't, you know, you don't go all, all the way to the, you know, the head of the university. <laughs> well, I feel uh, like they're trying to, they're trying to find their Feeney in right. college yeah. and it's just not working out. <laughs> oh man, what a beautiful sentiment that is though. Find your Feeney. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners, 
take that as as a, a, a mission in yeah. your life. Find your Feeny. Yeah. They might even overtly say something like that. Like, Feeny was never like this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think I think that at one point they like referenced. And I think this is also the first episode where Jack meets Feeny mm. for the first time. I don't think they had they had met. And like Eric had referred to him and stuff, but I don't think they had ever like met until the okay. until this episode. Yeah. Have we introduced Jack at all? That's Matthew no, Lawrence's character. This is his first season. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's Sean's brother comes in. I don't know if you know the story more than I do because I didn't watch the episode where well, he comes it's, in. It's sort of it's introduced at the beginning of the episode because that's where that whole apartment takes place. And from what I remember, like the big distinction between his uh, Sean's half brother and himself is that uh, his half brother like came came up in like better circumstances like his childhood was not as rough he comes from more he's they're not necessarily affluent but they definitely come from more money and he's better i think he's like better in school overall he's like more educated and that kind of becomes a point of difference right that they because of that and because sean also harbors a lot of resentment toward him for having all these advantages and stuff that becomes a point of conflict throughout the show but i think it's more like character wise they use jack more to give eric somebody to bounce off of yeah right because it it allows eric to go like fully nuts and fully off the wall where mm-hmm. jack then becomes the straight man yeah. to to him that way and even <laughs> metatextually too like uh as i watched a lot of these later season episodes matthew lawrence is stealing so many of the woos from the audience from mm-hmm. that used to be reserved for Ryder strong yeah because the ladies are into Matthew Lawrence. Well, now. he's got that, you know, that strong Lawrence blood all the way from, you know, the yep. Blossom days from with the his older brother. So mm. from the Joeys. And I feel like he adopts more and more of a Joey Lawrence like vibe as he gets older. <laughs> yeah. Because mm-hmm. he gets that whoa, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I, I do think also like he's the one, at least from a, you know, appearance standpoint, gracefully embraced the late 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think it was hard on a lot of the other yeah. actors. The haircuts were not working for yeah. them. Although, you know, to his to his credit, I don't know if Ryder Strong and Sean Hunter are discussed as much with like the innovators of the middle part. The butt haircut. Cut. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> that is precisely what I was going to talk about with this episode. Because like, apparently Sean Hunter was my style icon for this <laughs> time period. Because like the the outfit and the hair, like the the curtained hair. Yeah. The flannel over an like open flannel over t shirt with the necklace, baggy pants. I couldn't quite see his shoes, but I think mine were probably a little more skater than his were. But yeah, like it was like pitch perfect, like how I would have dressed like yeah. in fifth and sixth grade, which is like this season. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know how much of it was like the haircut and the clothes or just like the actor, but like almost from the jump, like Sean was cool. Like you, mm, you yeah. like already in it. I don't know that it was like that they played up Corey to be that much like dorkier comparatively but it's just so and i i don't know how much of it is also because i think because home improvement would have been i think started before boy meets world started so you already had your initial kind of cool template with your jonathan taylor thomas's right Mm -hmm. so then he kind of followed was kind of the next step and like the the young cool hot kid on the on the show a bit of a batter boy Mm -hmm. yeah and then also the tragic figure too yeah Mm -hmm. sympathetic but justice for ethan suple yeah. Mm. Please, Frankie, the true tragic figure of Boy Meets World. Yeah. But anyway. He, he, <laughs> isn't he in that celebrity room? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Pretty I think sure. you're right. Yeah, I think you might be right about that. So, again, as you said, May, the meat of this episode. Yeah. 
being being brutally honest about the one true pairing of yeah. Boy Meets World. Mm-hmm. I think so like this episode kind of comes to a head and especially I'm sure Cam if you're like rewatching more of the show mm-hmm. Throughout the season, and especially once Sean and Corey are older, they like play into their dynamic as a relationship. And like everyone is al- almost everyone is kind of on board with it that they're like, oh, that they're an old married couple. And they right. use and in this episode, I think typifies a lot of that because it's literally like two jealous lovers like bickering with each other and they're like finding they're yeah yeah, and they're like finding you know they're finding a new boy to like impress and it's all and like you know Corey just goes like the first person within eye shot you know poor poor lionel and he like he's he's like offering grapes grapes or whatever (laughs) and all that kind of stuff and then when sean comes and he has like a whole crew of boys and they all have matching leather jackets and and all of that where they're all and they you know they throw water in each other's faces and the the guy at chevy's is like oh it's a cat fight and like all that kind of stuff so i think that that was again kind of that growing up was that indicator of like you know when they were coding that kind of stuff that way so it was there for people who wanted to who wanted to read it but then for everyone else they kind of make a joke of it and at the end of the episode when you get the flashback you get the the repeated line of like your boys don't do like don't do that your boys right right. that when they're like they do it when when they're little kids and then when it like flashes to the present like Topanga says it again so it's again it's like very back and forth with that like gay panic but like not sort of not really and like so like she says it so half-heartedly right she's like your boys yeah (laughs) yeah so but I I know what kind of boys you are yeah so. so there's another episode that i can't remember offhand but there's there's been a lot of i think that was another thing that i picked up on as as a kid is that there was just always leaning into this like relationship like boyfriend dynamic between the two of them and like there's scenes in other episodes where they're like in bed together like eating pancakes and it's just like that's just what they do because they're they're just like that and it's yeah and it's just like the the way that that dynamic is played and i think it's interesting i don't think within the course of the show the two of them ever live together because Sean lives with Eric and Jack for a long time. And then Corey and Topanga, once they like get married or whatever, they move in together. But it's interesting that I don't think they ever had Corey and Sean like live together in any other part of the show. I think that would have been a more interesting dynamic, especially playing into the relationship. It's like, what happens when you move in with somebody that you're, you know, that you're interested in that brings, that's a whole new field for comedy. Right. Right. (laughs) If you if you were to watch Girl Meets World, at least the episodes I saw, I think it's telling that they lean into making the central relationship between two girl best friends the core of that show. It's mm-hmm. not really about like the guy she ends up with in the end, right? Kind of like how it does with Boy Meets World. It's like they took the thing that really makes Boy Meets World tick mm-hmm. and made know, gender show. swapped it yeah. <laughs> for his daughter. Yep, and I thought that was interesting. Mm. Like, I can't believe that Girl Meets World has started and ended already. I feel like that was yeah. just ye- three yesterday. seasons. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, it didn't last too long. But okay. It would have been interesting to see that have like a full life like this show. Yeah. Because everyone seems down and everyone was down. Like the finale has everybody. <laughs> it has both Morgans. Oh, my oh. God. I <laughs> it, mean, it, it's sounding a little bit like the Boy Meets World finale. Just yeah, like have no, put definitely. everything in it. Yeah. So, which we'll talk about. Yeah, this is this is such a good episode, and that flashback man is a trip. Um, <laughs> Corey being just a judgmental jerk, yeah, and Sean having the heart of gold. But then uh, you know the retconning of Topanga, like being his soulmate, yeah. Which they also they also talk about like 
if you remember the episode, the two-parter long walk to Pittsburgh when like mm-hmm. T- Topanga is going to be moving away, right? But she comes back to be with Corey, and like he's explaining why he loves Topanga in this very moving monologue. But like it's it's all filled with stuff that like we didn't see. You don't really grasp if you just watch the first season and a half yeah. of the show. So, you know. If they want to do that, whatever. It's it's, <laughs> but it never like it never made sense to me. Like mm-hmm. it didn't ruin anything for me. But I'm like, this doesn't make sense. She was just a weird girl with the one of the monkeys as her dad. Yeah, I think that was almost the the thing that was especially in the early seasons before they like you know did those kind of retcons that that made the two of them as a couple like more interesting. Yeah. But then as as time progressed, like more of that that awkwardness, that strangeness was taken out of Topanga's character. Yes. That she wasn't, she was never about, you know, meditation and like chanting and all the, you know, sitting on a yoga pillow and all that kind of stuff, like in the, <laughs> in the way that she was in the early seasons, especially. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost a shame because like, she just kind of fades into the background, just becomes the like, one, the, the girlfriend, the, yeah the like, girlfriend and Corey's puppeteer basically. Yeah. And, and she's there. I mean, there's, cause they go through ups and downs in their relationship, but it's, you know, it's good and, and it's dramatic, but yeah, you feel you get the sense that there are a lot more interesting things they might have been able to do had they kept yeah. those character traits mm-hmm. as part of her. There's episodes that sort of touch on this, but it's also very weird that, you know, so like within the course of the show, you see like for example, like Sean like dates a lot of different girls before he sort of ends up with Angela. And Corey and Topanga like kind of break up and stuff like that, but they're never with anyone else and it just it seems like very very weird and very like traditional that they're like never going to be with anybody else, never going to sleep with anybody else, especially when they're like, Oh, even though they're not like in separate places in college, but just when they're in their college experience, they do all that. And then it just, you know, they're just married and it just all works out. And like that, I think is like, and that I think, especially looking at it now kind of eliminates a little bit of the authenticity because it's very, very seldom now that you see, that exists now in real life. It's very rare, I think, where you have people who, you know, met in, especially like in elementary school, right? Who then like stay together forever. Even yeah. in high school happens, you know, still happens, but definitely not super often anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, the internet and yeah, <laughs> access to the world, I guess. Yeah, it's true. It was interesting though. Um, Cause I'm thinking of the article, the link that you shared with mm-hmm. us, Manny, when we were discussing all of this, the, run up to this episode um and i was reading the comments even on that Mm -hmm. and there were several people who like just applauded the show for like reflecting their own lifestyle or their own like relationship like they talked about oh like i only ever dated one person who i married or like yeah me and my my partner like waited to have sex like in the way that Corey and topanga Mm -hmm. did and it was like kind of against the grain for a teen show especially yeah. in the late 90s like where dawson's creek is all right all, where they're all, all about, banging like, each other all the time they're yeah. Gonna bang. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it was yeah it was interesting i guess you know it's a, a different lane to be in mm-hmm. anything else about uh it's not you it's me i mean just the you know the couples therapy essentially is what <laughs> is what sets up off the flashback yeah and the thing that i that i thought was and I don't know if it was like intended when it was cut that way, but when it like cuts to the flashback that like Sean is still saying like, when we first met, when we first met like four times before the, before the flashback kicks in. I thought that was particularly silly. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta love it. All right. So the next episode we watched uh, also from season five, episode 17. And then there was Sean. 
Uh, and Sean lands the gang in detention when Cory and Topanga's breakup proves to be disruptive to class. Their punishment turns weird when Feeney leaves and the message, No one gets out alive, appears on the blackboard, written in blood. The kids do their best to survive the tropes of slasher movies as a killer picks them off one by one. Corey, uh, Sean, and Topanga all survive to reveal the killer's identity, and it turns out to be Sean. Turns out it was all a dream Sean had during detention, revealing the anxiety and guilt he feels about his friend's breakup. Corey and Topanga reassure Sean that it's not his fault, and Feeney lets everyone out early from detention. <laughs> Just so much going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, like, a wacky, like, meta, like, uh, you know, gimmick episode yeah. turning into, like, a playlet about <laughs> yeah. the interior life of Sean Hunter. Yeah. Well, and then from, like, a, a pop culture perspective, it was... Like the one thing I didn't remember, so I did remember accurately that Jennifer Love Hewitt has a cameo in this episode, yes. and this mm-hmm. I think is like probably around the same time that I know what you did last summer. Yes, mm-hmm. came out. They make a joke about the horror movie with the hot girl from Scream. Party of Five, oh, and yeah. they reference <laughs> Nev Campbell, right, who was in Scream, would have been the year before. Yep. And then the the thing that I didn't remember was in this episode was there's a lot of random South Park humor. Yes. Which I was like, <laughs> and I was like, was this right when South Park was premiering? Because they make a, like, they killed Kenny joke. Yeah. And then there's and the... it seems to all come from Eric. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he... He does a Mr. Hanky voice. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure Will Friedel or Friedel, yeah. however you pronounce his name, was a big South Park fan. And I noticed in later episodes that I watched that he kind of becomes like a pop culture machine in that way. Like yeah. He's like, he's the one to drop the references. The references. And, I think that's uh, him, though. Like, Will yeah. Friedel is is a big voice actor. Like, after yeah. Boy Meets yeah, World. Yeah, he, he did Kim Possible. Yeah. Like, and, and Batman Beyond. And do- yeah. yeah. Dozens of, like, go to his credits and he rarely acts live action, like, for the past. 20 years it's it's all voice acting so i could see that being like just part of himself and they write write that into his character right, yeah but so this aired i wrote down edits for all of them but it's like most important for this one probably on february the 27th 1998 so scream is out scream 2 has already been out yeah. i know what you did last summer was 97 yeah south park debuted in 97 so okay. this is all so meta horror is in vogue it's all in yeah. vogue <laughs> and it's all appealing to the teens yeah it's just, they, they kind of get cooler than Boy Meets World ever does with all these the, these types of references. Yeah, they're getting hip. Well, big, big it, 90s so, it was so the the Jennifer Love Hewitt thing is so like also from out of nowhere because yeah. she's yeah. like just in what is the dream sequence and is in nothing else and like they don't really change her name at all. And Gen- Jennifer Love Pfefferman. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and like that's and it reminded me of which I don't know if. Boy Meets World ever did, but like I remember very distinctly that like Sabrina in that TGIF era was very big on its guest stars and very big on its like almost I feel like they also did crossover episodes mm-hmm. with stuff, but like the ones I remember from Sabrina were like there's a Cisco is on some episode <laughs> and Britney Spears famously is uh is on she comes out yes. of the, out of the magic linen yes, closet or yes. whatever. <laughs> um damn you want to watch that show now. You're bringing that all back. But um but yeah, it was just very odd. But the I think the I think my my favorite part, even though it's very silly, is when they kill Jennifer Love Hewitt with like a small stack of books. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's like it's like fifteen books that fall on her, and they're not particularly big, and that's what gets her. Uh, I love when um, 
that Kenny, yeah. who's, who you know is obviously dead meat because we've never seen him before, he gets killed by the giant pencil yeah. <laughs> through his head. And like when he like you know like uh, slouches down the wall, his dead weight, it's just the graphite instead of a blood <laughs> the line, stain. It's yeah. just the yeah. line from the pencil. <laughs> oh, man, that really got me. <laughs> Why is it called And Then There Was Sean? Is that a reference to something? It is. There's I think there's an Agatha Christie novel called And, there, okay. and Then There Were None. Oh, yeah, okay. And it's the same, yeah. I, some people are being picked off. Yeah, you one. gotcha. And it's yeah, which it's it, all that slasher stuff goes back to stuff like Ag- Agatha Christie, mm-hmm. that tradition. Yeah. Well, and I think this is of the episodes that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. This is the first one that has Angela, correct, in it. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, important to note as you know, in a figure in you know TJF and pop culture, in that she had you know the in- big interracial relationship with Sean the whole time and. The thing that I remember about that relationship is that more than Corey and Topanga, it felt like Sean and Angela were always trying to like actually work together. And like, like that felt like a much healthier Mm. relationship than, than Corey and Sean's or that Corey, (laughs) Corey, well, even Corey and Sean's because the other thing about Corey and Sean is that they're in like, it touches on this in this episode and in the episode we just talked about is that they're really like a, incredibly codependent of each other and that a lot of this and it comes through in this episode is that like sean has a lot of like abandonment issues right where he he part of why he gets so stressed out about Corey and topanga breaking up is because he he doesn't really have any other stability in his life so he's like if you know the two people i've known since i was a kid who have been together since like forever mm-hmm. break up what am i what am i gonna do how am i gonna like yeah. navigate the world in that way and it's such a quick turn too, mm-hmm. and like you know, it's the last ninety seconds of the episode, basically. But it hits, it hits hard, mm-hmm. and it, and you buy it too, man. Writer's strong, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and oh man, uh, they're talking about the rules, you know, doing more mm-hmm. kind of scream esque stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, very telling that we're in TGIF world when they talk about oh, virgins are safe, right? <laughs> and Corey Japan are like, yay, and, <laughs> and Sean like. So, you know, hints that he's a version. Uh, it was pretty funny. He's like, I'll be as sick as you can get without actually dying. <laughs> <laughs> but I also don't buy that Sean's a virgin. Yeah. One pro- bit. Probably not. <laughs> Although, and then it's like, they make the joke like right after, like when, when Feeny's dead, they're like, hey, Feeny. Yeah, yeah. like, <laughs> which is like very strange, but like, Feeny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, the the music is very Marco Beltrami scream theme. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just was like, coral like synths or whatever they are <laughs> jack's death is pretty great too he paid half the rent <laughs> i can't live in my apartment anymore <laughs> i don't want to live <laughs> well and they even like they like hint at the end right like that like maybe it's like was it a dream right because it's yeah. like at the end where oh, they yeah. have like the the killer like sneaks out of the classroom at the yeah. at the end or whatever and he has the same you know, and the the design of the the costume is like very similar to the scream. The mask is different, but like the the shape of like the cloaks and stuff is like nearly yeah. identical. As grounded as Boy Meets World was, you know, it also at times had what I like to call big '90s Nick energy. Yes, or just like very imaginative spoofs and parodies. Because there was, you know, I also remembered there's a real world spoof mm-hmm. episode there's like a film noir one unsolved mysteries one where like Corey's in the hospital get after mm. he gets his tonsils taken out 
And is that the is the noir one the same one? I remember that there's it's one last season. I think there's one where it's like a World War Two theme. That's a different one. Okay, that is a different. That's one. That's the one where they did the gimmick uh, across all the TGIF shows, right. where Salem was sending people. That's right. The cat yes. was sending people back in time. The cat from Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and they obviously as the most wholesome of the TGIF right. portfolio. They go back to the 40s, and it's all about, like, Corey and Topanga reuniting after he goes off to war or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That was wild, because I rewatched that, too, again, thinking that, wait, did Corey die? <laughs> <laughs> but that's not true. Yeah. Uh, he just kind of, like, loses his memory. Mm-hmm. So there's all those. and the, But the one I remember the most, which I also watched as extra, was the one where Eric gets discovered as an actor and goes to Hollywood and he um, visits, he gets cast on the show. A kid gets acquainted with universe. Okay. And it's it's all like mirror image versions of Uh, the cast. Like Ben Savage is just like a very insecure, jealous star Mm -hmm. thinking, you know, Ryder strong is, is like shy and reserved and like like very anxious. Daniel (laughs) officials like just bursting with energy and, and touchy feely. And even Matthew Lawrence like comes in. He's, he looks at Eric. He goes, "Why do you need you? They got me." Like, <laughs> and and like the writers' room is a bunch of like kid like who are clearly the producers and writers' right. kids, mm-hmm. um, doing some very funny shtick, mm-hmm. closing their laptops after Ben Savage fires all of them. Yeah, didn't they also make? I don't know if it would have been in the same kind of episodes, but I feel like they also made like jokes to like Fred Savage and Ben Savage being. Like yeah. related yes. and like the Wonder Years yeah. and and Boy Meets World, like they made jokes with that as well. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna draw the parallel between those two shows. I feel like these are very, they almost feel like companion shows to in my mind, mm-hmm. like with the Savage Brothers being you know the main characters, but just like the wholesome life lessons, nostalgia, like they just feel similar. To yeah, me, in my mind, like, yeah. I, I link them. Yeah, I think the the biggest difference is that you. Even like looking looking back at it and watching it now, it doesn't like feel super nineties in mm-hmm. in a way that like watching again like Full House and stuff feels very much of its time. Mm-hmm. Where the Wonder Years, the whole conceit was that it was you know it took place in like the fifties and yeah. stuff like that. But yeah, I can definitely see like where you know it's like a family show about growing up and all of that mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, and the on again off again relationship with your one true love, <laughs> your wayward older sibling, mm-hmm. you know that, but. Much more serious on the Wonder Years. Yeah. So, yeah. And then this this episode I tossed in there just because it is such a good example of like them getting wacky, but also them still being able to bring it back to some place that's very real. Mm-hmm. Are we ready to move on to the, the last two-parter we watched? Yeah. I'll I just... guess we could talk about the in-between. We kind of skipped season six. Yeah. The, only, the, the one I watched was the episode where Sean and Jack's dad dies. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Chet. Yeah. He gets a heart attack and... Uh... It's a very heavy episode. <laughs> Who's that actor? Blake. It's something. the guy from yeah. Waterboy that yeah. has the nipple piercing. <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah, he's in a lot of Adam Sandler movies. He has that like very scratchy yeah. southern accent. Voice. Yeah. Fathers and sons. Yeah. But again, you know, giving Ryder Strong the heavy lifting when it comes yeah. to when it comes to the show. Yeah, he's always kinda of like the heart broken heart <laughs> yeah. of the whole show. I give a little credit to Corey too when they want to get serious about his relationship with Topanga when they want to remind everyone yeah. like you know what he's all about. Mm-hmm. Right. But Ryder Strong definitely has the most fireworks yeah. out of yeah. anybody. And I think season 6 is also when the uh, is her name Rachel? Yes. Uh, the, the the redhead girl. The redhead roommate, mm. very tall, yeah. played by Maitland Ward. She comes in as Jack and Eric's new college roommate. Right. And then it sets up like a triangle kind of a thing. Yes. Yes. But by the time we get to season 
seven episodes 22 and 23 it's a brave new world which is the title of this two-parter and so as Corey and topanga decide to start their neck the next chapter of their lives in new york city joined by eric and sean everyone is saying their emotional goodbyes we see lots of clips from the previous seven seasons that illuminate the relationships and the major life events that brought them all to this point it is just a big old fan servicey valentine yeah to the show itself yeah every every like pairing of characters you know cory topanga cory sean feeney and everyone eric and parents yeah parents (laughs) jack and sean even two clips of cory and morgan (laughs) (laughs) and it's so rapid fire too it's fun it's like they don't dwell on it enough to for it to become like real schmaltzy yeah they pick the best stuff and they just like give you a little bit of it yeah Yeah. sometimes just like a little blip like yeah two people are arguing and then it's like a quick flashback to when they argued like seven years ago <laughs> yeah yeah almost sometimes even like standing in the same spots yeah, like, yeah. The same marks in the, on the same set yes it's and that's also what i love about this finale it's like it is very much it is taking a sledgehammer to that fourth wall it is just saying, yeah. <laughs> yeah like celebrating reveling in its tv-ness mm-hmm. <laughs> i like the the moment where is it eric who goes to feeny and is like Corey's not doing well. Afraid of change. Yeah. The usual. Yeah, give him the usual. Give him the give him the usual. <laughs> and he does the Phoenix. He goes Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. And he goes Phoenix. Oh, that's a new one. Yeah. <laughs> and Feeny admits that he loves the Feeny call. Yeah. Man, Eric has gigantic Kramer energy in this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because this at this point is when Eric's like fully like <laughs> gone off the deep end as far as like. What if yeah. Fonzie was an idiot? Yeah, that's that's Eric Matthews. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I, although I really laughed a lot uh, at Sean's demand when, you know, everyone, like the Corey Fair about to leave. And he's like, we have to say goodbye for an hour. <laughs> exactly what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think really what the thing that has always stood out for me about that show is like the final speech from Feeney at the very oh, end. Yeah. And it's like, I can't even like, I can't rewatch it because it like makes me emotional rewatching it. Yeah, and it's just it's... like you see it in all the cast faces and everything like how much it like really really affected them and it's just like uh, i can't like talk about it i'm gonna start crying (laughs) i talk about it but it's just like it's an incredible like way to end a show that meant so much to so many people that especially like if you were around our age you'd like i mean for me i was entering high school in in the year 2000 so like you but it was still like it 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 feels very, you know, it, it culminates really beautifully and it like, it doesn't feel like there was a lot of like loose threads and stuff. Right. And, like it felt like they were able to end it on their own terms, but just like that. And I, apparently I, I've, I was like looking, like finding little like trivia bits about, about this hops episode. But the two things that I found was that like that, uh, that sequence of the final speech, they could only film coverage on on the main actors for one take because they were too like fucked up like for the rest of it and then that uh apparently a lot of people have the uh dream try do good like as a tattoo like yes because that's it's like it's an incredible it's like a really beautiful sentiment just to to, like take into the world and the delivery like he's just he he truly means it like don't you mean do well yeah (laughs) no do good (laughs) do you guys remember um I think it was a Fallon bit of like uh, Samuel L. Jackson doing beat poetry, oh. talking about Boy Meets World because they had they had established they had like 
they had Tom Hanks on to do one for Full House. That was the okay. original one. He's just like describing the events of Full House. <laughs> but Sam Jackson doing one like about Boy Meets World and like taking long drags on a cigarette. <laughs> like <as he'd> <laughs> check it if you haven't seen it, uh, friends, listeners, please check it out. Do yourselves a favor. Uh, but he gets to, like yeah, the end of it culminates in that speech. Yeah. He's like, he's like, do good, dream, try, do good. Don't you mean do well? No. <sighs> <laughs> do good <laughs> uh, I think uh, the ethos of all the wholesome TGIF TV in a nutshell is when Eric is saying goodbye to Feeney he says mm-hmm. I, I know I'm going to be a good person who cares about people and I blame you for that yeah. <laughs> yeah. and I think too that it really like especially at the at the end it really like even though Eric at that point had been reduced to a dope that like it really validated like Feeney and Eric's relationship that even though like Eric had become, you know, basically an, an imbecile at this point that like Feeney still like cared about him and wanted him to, you know, to do well in the, in, in life and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. It goes back to that pilot. It's yeah. Like the greatest thing you can aspire to is to have love in your lives. Yeah. Be That's- a good person do that that's what feeney finally admits to an empty room yeah i love you all because they're begging him they're like tell us you love us (laughs) and i must say revealing that Corey's real name is cornelius is an amazing (laughs) amazing lore dump in the finale just this like you know slam dunk yeah i think this episode is also when i really started to notice that the truth is in the tresses that like all the haircuts like when Corey isn't as curly or when like Sean and, and Eric, they chop off those mops that they had. I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna. Say Ta- that time too. to say goodbye. Yeah, like yeah. it truly marks like like the '90s aesthetic of the of the bulk of the show is like taken over by this new era, like it's postmodern like the turn yeah. of the millennium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, short hair, preppier styles, goatees, goatees. Mm-hmm. Sean's got the earring up top, like mm-hmm. <laughs> polos. Yeah, just. Corey's old navy wardrobe just yeah not as into it personally yeah <laughs> it's it just it doesn't sit right but i think i think that's only in the last season like yeah. i was mm-hmm. surprised by how long like they're they, they kind of kept that aesthetic honestly how long Ryder strong had that butt cut is <laughs> quite <laughs> impressive even and even after matthew lawrence was already there like with the cool gelled spiky hair mm-hmm. I, I wonder if Ryder strong would look at him and be like i, I want that i want that <laughs> The thing I was always took from like the styling of that show was just, which I think like Nick like started maybe with like the Nickelodeon shows, was just like the level of layering that you couldn't just have like just yeah. a t shirt or just mm-hmm. a polo shirt that it would have to be like a sweater with a shirt with a necklace with like <laughs> like everything had to be like covered up all. Yeah. The same and you're time. wearing yeah you're wearing like twenty pounds of fabric by the end of it yeah. And it was just like working. I, I would just imagine like working under like those kind of like hot lights all day, yeah. just like sweating oh, all Lord. day wearing because it was all and especially even when they were wearing like the big like the heavy sweaters that had like the zip that there was still like two shirts under it. And you're like, oh, fashion, fashion for a certain kind of kid. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. But it's I think other than like. Like, especially because the the time period when the show was running went basically, you know, through the all of the 90s in and ends in 2000 that it like, again, it does. And because it's more than like, I would think of like other 90s shows, even like the costumes, I think, on like Buffy or on uh, what's the other one? 
was just thinking of like Buffy or like Saved by the Bell, like right. feel very much locked into their time period yeah. where there's something about because like, you know, it's all kind of just like like middle class, like T-shirts, jeans, sweaters and stuff that people still wear. Yep. So it never feels too much within a, a given time frame, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of being nondescript, like serves it well make mm-hmm. gives him a little more of a timeless quality yeah plus i think i think it's a difference when you're like you are dressing like literal children like mm-hmm. those other examples i think you know after the first couple of seasons they're starting to become adults like yeah the, like the actors are, and i'm not sure like on buffy they ever were teenagers even though they're playing high schoolers yeah, yeah i think they all were like in their 20s probably yeah. when they were but these are actual kids like yeah. you know they mm-hmm. took from 11 years old harry yeah. potter-esque like, yeah yeah you people you think you grew up with harry potter i've Grew up with fucking Corey Matthews. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed a lot of like uh, '90s shirts with like the single like thin stripe across the chest, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I had plenty of. Yeah, <laughs> yep, me too. Or like I like the early season too, like season one. Corey's just like turquoise and purple outfits, like super '90s, like super '93. Mm-hmm. It's great. Very rad. Yeah, baggy shorts. <laughs> yeah. That, like, McDonald's cup aesthetic, right? Like, the McDonald's <laughs> water cup. Like. <laughs> totally. I think that's why everyone goes crazy for the, the Portland airport carpet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and they, like, from living there, I when I lived there, it was right when they were changing the carpet. Mm-hmm. And that caused a big kerfuffle amongst, like... <laughs> Or Oregonians that how dare they and I think I think I mean I haven't been in that airport in a while but I think they like reserved a piece of the original carpet that is still somewhere in the airport but now it has a, a new like slightly different design that yeah. it's not it's not Which the teal the- one it's like green I think it's like green and yellow I think yeah yeah it's like if you if you weren't aware of the history of this carpet you would go and you'd still think oh this is kind of like a 90s ish aesthetic <laughs> yeah. anyway but yeah older one was even more so mm-hmm. <laughs> Time moves on. And Dream of the 90s is, is truly it's alive. It's truly alive. Yeah. <laughs> it is. They were right. The Dream of the 90s is alive in Boy Meets World. That's where it is. It's on Disney+. Plus. Yes. <laughs> Anything else about the Brave New World? Oh, we should talk about the, the a new little brother character. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that confused me at first. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Who is this kid? <laughs> and I realized, oh, she gets mom gets pregnant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing says... You know, ABC Family sitcom than like a late in life pregnancy. Yeah, <laughs> jazz it up in the later seasons. Yeah, and so Corey gives like a little farewell speech or just like passing the torch speech, I mm-hmm. guess. To Boy his meets little, world. To his little tiny brother. Now I get it. Yeah, but you know, it's in a lot of what in like so much of Boy Meets World. It's like yeah, it's it's hokey and direct, but it's also you know true, meaningful, sincere. Yeah. You know, there's there's beauty in it. And just having having the the sincerity to say that and pull that off, like it, I I was really impressed, honestly, also by Ben Savage, like how he radiated sweetness and kindness as mm-hmm. as Corey, especially as the seasons go on, and just how earnest he was without making him seem like a schmuck. Yeah, and I think that's like that's one of sort of the the hallmarks of the show is that it's like it it managed to balance that line between like earnestness and sentimentality and i think that's why like watching it now especially in like when i was re-watching it during the pandemic it's like very much like a comfort show like it's like it's people who all ultimately at the end of the day are like good decent people and like you want them to to do well and all of that and i think it's like that's not 
again, it's not something that you really see anymore, even in like stuff that is centered in like family drama. Like it's not like the, the more contemporary shows I, I think of are like, this is us or like the new version of parenthood that came out a number of years ago now. And I remember watching the new parenthood when it came out and like, I couldn't hang because like that show is just, it's just like, crying every episode that everything is awful and it's Mm. like like it's like people have like learning disabilities and horrible things happen to them and there's like cancer and it's just like oh it's and i've heard and when i when this is us was premiering uh, i remember my mom called me and she was talking like oh i like saw this show and it's so good and i cried like four times in the first episode i was like i'm not gonna watch this show like i'm not gonna like (laughs) i don't need to put myself through that kind of you know of an emotional gauntlet to like cry multiple times in one episode and i was like yeah i I can't hang. totally uh for me friday night lights was also okay. a show very much like that mm-hmm. where yeah i got boy meets world echoes sure again very and it's a guy uh, jason kadams who also was a writer and producer on parenthood okay did friday night lights before that so he's 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 knows how to tug those heartstrings yeah and they want to be tugged yes we've <laughs> we've established this we're all sensitive guys who like boy meets world yeah we're all writers strong yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't have said it better myself <laughs> speaking of riding strong how about we segue into our segment here and talk about how we're going to keep the spirit of boy meets world alive and going strong and throw out some pitches I can go first because uh, once again it kind of falls apart <laughs> in the end. I don't have it fully fleshed out, but I'm imagining something like Lost season six meets WandaVision <laughs> for my follow-up, a limited series in which modern-day, fully grown Corey Topanga Sean and the rest uh, of the main characters are still inexplicably in high school, <laughs> learning wholesome life lessons until. You know, I was going to center it on Corey, but our discussion makes me want to change it to Sean. Uh, so Sean starts getting wise to the fact that none of them should be in high school anymore and that everything feels a little too picture perfect like a sitcom. Gradually, the facade comes down. Sean realizes he's in some sort of afterlife or dream state. And everything happening is like a surreal recreation of the highs and lows of his life with, you know, all his best friends and family. Uh, and it ends with a final conversation with Mr. Feeney in his classroom. Sean senses that it's not exactly the real Feeney, but either his own subconscious or possibly God himself. Feeney helps Sean realize that he's had a near-death experience, and this has all been a chance to reevaluate his life, in which he has always been afraid of change to the point where it has held him back. And then we can have him like wake up from this near-death experience with you know renewed appreciation for life, and like maybe taking a big leap, like admitting that he's trans or professing his love for Corey or something, but just some, some sort of like major life altering mm-hmm. admission on his own part. My title is man meets maker. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. I also couldn't help but think of the Rocco's modern life static cling. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like again, a character going through a big life change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
but I also just like the the wackiness too of, of yeah. somehow the sit- just, like tropes. they said like they said in the in the finale of Boy Meets World you know somehow Feeny's going to teach you in every grade yeah somehow Feeny's going to teach you even when you're in middle age yeah it's with you all the time He's, yeah yeah we'll never, we'll never go um I can go next and uh, talk about just my brief little idea for a spinoff kind of building off of where the finale ends up with several characters moving to New York. But I wanted to focus on Eric because I remember in the days watching Boy Meets World, this was an era of very, very lackluster representation of Eric's in popular culture. <laughs> and I, it did not sit well with me that you had Eric Matthews, who was just a dope. You had Eric Camden from Seventh Heaven, who was an annoying, preachy guy. <laughs> Goody two-shoes. Eric Cartman, who was just evil. Mm. And I'm just like, this is not fair. Where's a cool <laughs> one? Let's at least get some redemption. So my idea is Joey, the Friends spinoff, meets Ted Lasso. Mm. So Eric Matthews just making his way in New York, you know, part-time artist since he kind of shows some aptitude for that. But like mostly the gimmick will be like running through lots of like entry-level jobs that he's horrible at, like (laughs) every single one of them. Um, You know, maybe not every episode, but every few weeks or so he's kind of like onto a different different vocation mm-hmm. um but despite this constant embarrassment and misfortune that's brought upon him his optimistic attitude his sense of humor and his genuine zest for life like gradually just make a positive impact on everyone around him so eric can be like our ted lasso or our paddington he's just mm-hmm. you know getting everyone to see the world a little differently so my mm-hmm. belabored pun title for this is walking on eric <laughs> <laughs> Mine was definitely not as wacky, but the things that I was thinking about was that like when, you know, when the show ends, when these people are graduating, right they're, you know, they're all like elder millennials, essentially, Mm -hmm. right, in terms of age. And most of them are having to deal with, you know, like, especially the financial crisis of 2008, right? So I was almost thinking of something where Mr. Feeney passes away and like our four and i would say so like uh cory topanga sean and angela all come back to philadelphia right to for his funeral and they realize that they've like been estranged i think also like maybe cory and topanga realize like we've known each other since we were kids and we haven't known anyone else maybe they come back and they've already divorced right before they come back for this and it's more about them navigating the world without mr feeney and then navigating the realities of like you know the post 9 11 kind of america right so it could be very feasible that like maybe sean part of why Sean is the center of the show is he moved in back, moved in with Corey's parents after the financial crisis. Right. And like, he had nowhere else to go. And like, like Topanga's maybe out of a job or working two jobs and stuff like that. And I think that that, because that's not really something we're seeing on TV right now mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. is like kind of like how millennials are dealing with this very incredible childhood where we were all praised and told to do our best and go to school. And like those characters did all those things right they did all the right things but how does that and they all had the advantage of not only doing all the right things but then having an incredible mentor in somebody like mr feeney so what does that look like when like the harshness of our current reality and that one sort of guiding figure that you had is stripped away from you and how do you and if anything i think it would be kind of a mesh of sort of that some of the things that you that you said that where it's like 
them finding their way back to each other yeah. as friends, right? And maybe, you know, and I would very much see, especially especially like for Sean and Angela, that by by the time they're like out of college, they're they're like probably both queer in one way or another. And so then them negotiating all of that with kind of who they were as kids and where where do they go from there? I think that's a much more interesting exploration because like the thing, which I'm sure we'll touch on in the next little segment, is that like, I think that was part of why Girl Meets World never worked mm. in the same way. Is that you never like the, while well, the the relationship with like, you know, those, the two girl characters was interesting. It never locked in, in the same way where with boy meets world, like that Corey Sean relationship was like locked in, like from the go. And that was really the, the driving force for so much of the show. Don't have a punny title though. That's the only thing. I'm not good with titles. You but don't, you don't need one. Yeah. That's, but that's, I, that's just a great idea. But I think that's <laughs> that premise I think is a little interesting. And I think it would, in my mind, it would be, somewhere in between that idea of like your dark gritty reboot but it's not dark or gritty no, i think it's no, just it's, more it's more grounded yeah it's, it's like it's a parenthood style show yeah yeah where it's like so and, I, and i'm sure it could be one of those things too that like how does it feel now that you know like if you know like Corey and Topanga have kids. Are they co-parenting? And yeah. do what do they do when they have advice that they need and they don't have Feeny? And like, you're maybe like, you know, maybe Corey's parents are no longer together or like all that kind of stuff, right? And you can play that out. And that I think almost touches on like the one division idea that you had that they grew up in this very idyllic kind of way. And then what happens when that doesn't exist anymore? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. solid. These are all great ideas. And, you know, I think a lot of people are going to want him. So go ahead, Hollywood, and just cut us a really big check. Yes, give me some of that Disney Plus money. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, one more question that we have to ask ourselves uh, about Boy Meets World. What were we watching? What were we watching? I'll say I was watching the awkward, funny, unforgettable experience of both a boy and a sitcom coming of age. And like I said earlier on in this podcast, a safe space for sensitive souls. There's like nothing more meaningful to me, especially looking back on it, that I got to see these affectionate male friendships and just affectionate relationships in general between lots of people modeled on TV mm-hmm. and, and not ridiculed as overly sentimental. And there's no posturing on this show. Yeah. It's just about being who you are mm-hmm. and being a sensitive person. And that's, that's how you will navigate life. Yeah. Yeah. I echo all of that. It's, I was watching um, a show that wasn't afraid to be sensitive and to teach boys specifically to be sensitive. And also just uh, heartfelt lessons from the most effective TV teacher of all time. Yes. Mr. Feeney. <laughs> Big shout out to Mr. Feeney. I don't know if we, I feel like we haven't talked about him as much because he kind of becomes more of a, a role player after mm-hmm. the first two or three seasons. Yeah. But man, there is so much of the show is about him and his relationship to the kids. Yeah. yeah. To that point, it's just like that, that idea of like in one way or another, growing up and having so many good teachers not only in my life but then reflected to me in tv really inspired me to get into teaching when i was when i was able to do it and to and especially like you know mr feeney is also and even like mr turner and stuff it's presented that that's 
what you want to be able to achieve yeah. right and like i'm lucky enough that now you know it's been like 10 years since i was in the classroom but it's like i am still in touch with some of my students and like i was talking to a friend of mine about it and it was like that's arguably like the most important part that i was able to see these people as teenagers and now 10 years out i've seen them both like the two that i'm in close contact with they're good people Mm -hmm. and like that's like so like profound to know that like i made sure that you were okay and that Mm -hmm. like you that you got through this awkward hard stage of your life and that you came out the other side and like i think that ultimately what i was watching was something that informed a lot of the way i see the world the way i see myself and i think it's it's a show that i that i think we could use more of now in a time when you know we're continually so polarized and so divided with like finding each other's common humanity is really mm-hmm. essential and i think that boy meets world really did that in a real way and i think if anything this is a this is a great show to revisit either if you grew up with it like we did, if you've never seen it, and especially if you have young kids. I think it's a, a show you can still show kids now that they'll still relate to it, that the lessons and the ideas that they bring up are not so far out of date that you yeah. that they couldn't relate to them now, that you wouldn't have to add a lot of context of like, oh, we, you know, we don't talk like this anymore. We don't do those kind mm-hmm. of things. It, like a lot of it in that way holds up. Beautifully, so, beautifully yeah. said. Something you said uh, also reminds me of a Feeny moment that I should have mentioned during the Chick Like Me episode when Feeny sees Sean, I think, mm-hmm. in, in drag. And first he's like, oh, God. <laughs> but then he's like, he goes up to him and he's like, you know, if my, my door is open if you ever want to talk. Like, no judgments. Yeah. And it's played as a joke. But it's, right. but I think it's he, like, Feeny means it sincerely. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And he's like, and I, I truly believe him when he says, like, I, I, I could offer you like an whatever ear, an ear or or advice or, or like whatever you need um and i won't judge you because mm-hmm. he doesn't judge anyone yeah it feels like except mr mac yeah yeah right <laughs> another outburst of anger that was just really weird to see yeah not just Corey's dad giving a death threat but yeah. mr feeney getting even feeney's getting angry yeah. but we're not angry about boy meets world our hearts are filled with love for the show and for our friend and guest manny Thank you. Thanks it so was much. An absolute pleasure. Very nice to do this again. And it feels, you know, feels like we're slowly but surely getting ourselves out of this, out of this pandemic world. So just, you know, everyone stay safe out there. It's yeah. just, we're not, we're not through it yet, but hopefully not too much longer. Nice. Yeah. Indeed. It's good to see your face in person. Yes. Likewise. Do you have anything you'd like to plug while you're here? Um, yes and no. So <laughs> I am not, uh, I am still very online, but I am not doing anything in any sort of professional sense. If anything, please, uh, I am false mirror on Twitter and Instagram and most socials. Please bother me to get my shit together and start my own podcast. I have, I bought equipment. I got equipment from a friend uh, for Christmas and like I've been meaning to start something for a while. If anything, if any of the lovely listeners out there are interested in talking about pop culture, DM me. I need a, I need a partner. I need, I need a, a cam to my Eric to, to, to pair and to, cause as much as I would love to talk into the ether, I don't know that that would fly for too long, but yes, if anything, yell at me online to start my podcast because it's something I've wanted to do for a long time. I, oh man, I want to hear it. And if you want to hear us, you know, we're online too <laughs> on all your favorite podcatchers, of course, and our website, what we're watching.com 
and our Bandcamp site, which has a lot of our older episodes. Uh, you can engage with us on social media if that's your thing. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just search for What Were We Watching? And last but not least, drop us a line. We want to hear from you about your memories of Boy Meets World, your favorite episodes, your favorite plot lines, your favorite jokes, and just the ways that it touched your life. We've all got a Feeny in our lives. So whatever you want to talk about, we're here. We're here for you. And you can write us at what were no we watching? Judgments. No judgments. Yes, no judgments. <laughs> Indeed. Well, I don't know if I can promise that. But what were we watching at gmail.com? And in fact, we have a letter in the mailbag this week. It's from our good friend and guest of uh, on the Parent Trap episode from a couple months back. It's from Jenny Redloff. And her subject line is, I just can't get enough, parenthesis, of the wedding singer. And she writes, hello, Cam and Eric. I would be remiss to allow a Wedding Singer episode go by without acknowledging the Tony Award-nominated 2006 Broadway production, of which I may be the only 10-plus-year dedicated fan, (laughs) more than a decade, having its peppy original cast recording in regular rotation since its debut. Despite the stage version getting a slightly sickening double dip into that 80s nostalgia, it carries the same charm and wholesomeness of the source material. I especially like the overt nods, musically and choreographically, just made that word up to 80s standards such as thriller flash dance what a feeling and we didn't start the fire it's kind of like what mama mia is for the 70s or jersey boys for the 60s without being a defined jukebox musical i particularly love the sincerely sweet julia ballad come out of the dumpster (laughs) and the addition of the julia sung harmony to the iconic grow old with me so so heartwarming which Mm. I believe and agree, actually, because I used that version for the Instagram story when that episode came out on our social media, oh. ah. sent it out on my personal okay. account Instagram stories. And like I was searching the Spotify for, you know, that song, but the, it's not, it wasn't actually on the official movie soundtrack for ah. Grow Old With You. So, but they All had right. the Broadway cast recording. Anyway, she continues, uh, I would urge the people to give this solid B plus musical a second or first. Let's be real. Listen, as a tightly packaged audience-pleasing delight, it's the kind of movie-to-stage musical that should be best enjoyed as a Sunday matinee with your mom. Regional and community theaters everywhere are continually missing a beautiful opportunity. Watch out, Rock of Ages. It's time to revisit The Wedding Singer. Oh, also, Stephen Lynch led the original cast in the role of Robbie. Makes sense, right? Thanks for reading, Jenny. Well, thanks for writing, Jenny. That was a lovely email. I want to hear that soundtrack. Yeah, there. The, when I watched the movie on my Blu-ray copy uh, before doing the episode, that like the only special feature on it is a preview for the Broadway musical, mm-hmm. which I watched, and it yeah looks fun. Uh, the sets look amazing because they all kind of play off that '80s club like Duran Duran album cover aesthetic. Okay, sure. <laughs> and yeah, Stephen Lynch, musical comedian, is Robbie, and then uh, Laura Benanti who has, I think, gone on to be a bigger player in the Broadway world. She actually was the first Julia on Broadway earlier in her career. So interesting. I feel like if you did it today, Bo Burnham would be a really good Robbie. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, he's he's probably going to work on that EGOT now, right? They're, they're showing inside <laughs> theatrically. Oh, okay. They're doing a one day to get it, get it uh, that qualifying run for, you know, get Netflix their, their trophies. Nice. So best original song. Here we come. Yeah. For Jeffrey Bezos, parts yep. one and two. Yeah. <laughs> But um, any thoughts on the wedding singer, Manny? Since we're, uh, we're here, what I was actually thinking about when you were talking about this, like, I was like, I don't know if I would. I have opinions on this because uh, 
Adam Sandler, I am very hit and miss on in general. And so like the movies that I, that I've seen of his that I do really like are slightly before that. So like, I really like, uh, like Billy Madison yeah. and Happy Gilmore. Mm-hmm. But then Waterboy was like a little too weird for me. And then when he started getting into like his, his, I think he did like three in a row, like romantic comedies with Drew Barrymore, right? It was like, <laughs> like 50 First Dates and this. And then was there a third one? Uh, much later. Okay. It's called Blend. That's right. Yeah. yeah he, he did. So like, and because, you know, he's, Adam Sandler has been so successful that now he does just like, fuck you, I want to go on vacation with my friends movies. Like, so that's all weird. Although I will say, to its credit, Uncut Gems is definitely one of those movies that is like a panic attack on film. Like, like the only other movie I've had that kind of experience with, although not quite the same, is Gravity, where you're, where it's just, you're just like tense the entire time. And so like, it was good, but it's like, it's one of those, like, I never want to see it again. Because, like, I can't be that tense for that long. When I went to see Gravity in theaters with a couple of friends, like, the the one next to me just kept saying, oh, shit, oh, fuck, like, throughout the whole, like, first 70 minutes of Gravity. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I saw, when I saw that movie, I saw it uh, in IMAX at CityWalk. Yeah. Right? And, like, seeing that movie that huge, it was just, like so singular i have like i have no intent unless i can see another screening of it in 70 millimeter i don't think i ever want to yeah see it again what's the point yeah because it was it was so like (laughs) gnarly to see to see a movie like that that big yeah Yeah. like the because i think the only other because in in seattle there are only two 70 millimeter screens Mm -hmm. so one is at the cinerama which shares its name with the theater here i don't think they're related to each other Mm -hmm. but that theater closed during the pandemic and i don't know if anyone's bought it yet but Mm -hmm. it was like a repertory Mm -hmm. theater that had 70 millimeter capability same with our cinerama yeah (laughs) i saw that was like brutal to that was actually one of the the last movie i when i was last in california i saw uh parasite in oh so i'm the dome so, yeah the, yeah so i saw parasite at the dome so the only other imax theater in seattle is at the pacific science center right so it's <laughs> it's one of those where they every once in a while they'll show regular movies and then but like so like to that point of like seeing cinematic panic attacks like the last the other <laughs> one that i saw that was like that was uh dunkirk Oh, was yeah. right up in there which it's like it's not quite as tense as like as uncut gems or gra- or gravity but it's definitely like up there which i'm glad like speaking of like the pandemic that that was like the last Christopher Nolan movie I saw theatrically because I saw I watched Tenant on the plane like dry <laughs> like flying down here oh, no. and I was just like I'm kind of glad I didn't see this big it's like that movie is like huh? so far yeah. up its own ass like <laughs> so right off the bat and I was just like okay dude like I get it like sure it's like entropy or whatever and like everyone has nicely tailored suits but I'm just not I can't commit <laughs> to this I felt um, the same way yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like this is a math problem. I yeah, feel, I feel nothing. <laughs> yeah. about this. Yeah, I definitely watched. You know, I watched with my girlfriend, and then immediately we watched two YouTube videos, like explaining Search, it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> searching like we just searched tenant. What does it mean? Yeah, like, <laughs> watched the first two videos. Definitely needed the annotated version of that film. Yeah. <laughs> well, all that is to say, Manny, um, watch the Wedding Singer because yes. you, I think you might like it. I've when I've heard. I've heard uh, compared to to a lot of the other Adam Sandler romantic comedies that that one like balances it. Oh yeah, pretty it's, well. It's definitely the most sincere, yeah. in my opinion, of of his films. Yeah, 
I did like it's not quite a romantic comedy, but I did like uh, Punch Drunk Love. Oh yeah, that's another great one. Yeah. Would you say so? I haven't seen. I've seen very little of Girl Meets World. Do you think we didn't really talk about it on like the pitches and stuff because there was the sequel series. Yeah. Do you think that people should watch it? Is it worth like if you mm, if you if you're like invested in like revisiting? I think you, I like, think if you're invested in the characters of Boy Meets World, I can't speak to like all three seasons, but the finale definitely like brings back so many faces from the original Boy Meets World, and you get some like fun payoffs. And I do think it's it's more than just that finale like i think feeny's in like five episodes I okay think sean's in a lot i think they do bring like they bring angela back i think she oh. comes back for a couple of episodes. yeah there, there are a lot of embedded too. like gifts on that article that oh, you yeah. shared with us yeah i saw yeah yeah some some comebacks i think it's it's got a very similar energy like because i think boy meets world is largely responsible for that sort of kid sitcom mm-hmm genre that yeah. you didn't really see before it that, that not that i can think of like yeah. a three camera four kids sitcom that i feel like is like disney channel's bread and butter now. yeah yes very very influential yeah it's like they saw say by the bell and said let's do that for real with like actual yeah. Okay, yes. maybe say by the bell is like the template yeah that came before but yeah but man those disney channel shows that came after are just like 10 times more obnoxious yeah well because they <laughs> were all humor. like quirky there's some i don't know if he still does it but i remember one of the people i like followed on tiktok they do like skits as disney channel characters Uh, so it's all with that like very specific (laughs) disney channel cadence and like the joke delivery and it's one of those like yeah that that ages if anything you know that would be an interesting thing for you guys to explore if you do like the you know the fills of the future and like all those like (laughs) those shows and like your xenon movies and all Mm. of that kind of stuff and we need to do like a decom at some point. Yeah. I am here for the smart house. Slam yeah. dunk the funk. Put it up. Yeah. Brink. Um, yeah. I mean, that's the OG yeah. for me. Yeah. Well, that was the that was the first one, right? Of like that next wave of like Disney Channel because it was like that and Smart House and mm-hmm. Xenon and Halloween Town and all those mm-hmm. were like oh, yeah. right in that era. Johnny Tsunami. Mm-hmm. Oh, there we go. <laughs> now we're just we're just saying words. Just yes. Cinema. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But just thank you, Manny. Yeah. Thank you for coming thank in. You. Thank you for being you. Thank you for pleasure. talking about Boy Meets World with us. Yes, it was a pleasure. All right, friends. Uh, they'll they'll do it for us. Uh, thanks again uh, for listening to this podcast, What Were We Watching? And for Manny Lozano and Cam Seamer, I'm Eric Ambler. And until next time. I love you all. Class dismissed.